You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smallacrehunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Oh, to hear that sound come this fall. Tell you what, there's few noises quite like a snort wheeze or a big guttural just ball in the woods. Um, I've had a few deer and a few occasions where I've actually heard a mature buck do both of those and whoo, it is quite the experience. Hey guys, this is Ty, Small Acre Hunting Podcast, and we today are going to tackle a topic that I'm not going to be able to flesh out in its entirety. I'm not going to be able to illustrate it to the point and the degree that I wish, but we are going to talk about it to a length to where hopefully the picture is painted for you and you kind of step inside my mind on, as you can tell by the title, entrance and exit routes and a few things along the way. So I've had a few of you ask about entrance and exits and I will be honest, there's something that I've been working on and I've been developing and I'm eventually going to be able to say that, yes, I have something for sale. It's going to be both physical documents, physical uh, paper copies, but then also a DVD called the Small Acre Attack Plan. And I'm going to allow you to hopefully step into my mind and try to get in. One of the things that I think, I I don't do this to make money. This is not my main career. This is not my main job. And and I think sadly, there's not a lot of go-to places these days for you to get things for free or for an affordable amount, I should say. There's a lot of free information out there, but a lot of it is surface type oriented. A lot of it is expedited material. And what I mean by that is that it hasn't been fleshed out and thought out to the point of like a book is or a DVD, an instructional DVD is, or the aspect of trying to deliver something that one can grow from, one can learn from, and, and that's what I'm hoping to do. And and I already know that I, I've already hinted at this to some people. This is the first time I've actually spoken this into existence, and now I feel, you know, I'm going to feel a little bit of pressure. But my goal originally was to try to have this ready by the beginning of 2020. However, I'm not putting a hard finish goal on it because, one, this isn't my main job. Two, I'm going to be a father here soon. And three, I have a new job. Um, that takes away the actual paying job that takes away time from this, but I'm working on it and I want to get it to be something to where you don't have to hire me for a consult. You don't have to hire me for a digital consult or an onsite consult, but yet you can kind of step inside of my mind. My goal is to hopefully, you know, just cut open my mind and we're going to discuss from everything from hypothetical situations. I'm going to throw up maps of properties that I just randomly use Google Earth and zoom in and make the borders of this property because we're not going to be able to see the parcel lines. We're going to make the property. 
and then we're going to discuss, you know, what are some of the first things that I see? What are some of the first things that I plan on doing? Let's talk about some various habitat improvements that we should probably do. Some of the things that we should look for when we go to this property, um, just entrance and exit and everything else. And, the, and, and that's what spawned this, this discussion was entrance and exits are going to be a huge, huge topic of discussion, um, for the small acre hunting attack plan. And my goal, I, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to run this by a bunch of people that I trust. My goal is to not have this be, and actually this is going to, in essence, replace the digital consult that I offer. Um, I don't want to have it be more than 40 or 50 bucks. Um, it might even end up being just 20 bucks. I'm not going to charge an arm and a leg. Um, I will have to ship it to you because I'm going to make hard copies of everything. It's not going to be digital. That's too easily uh, copied, and and then you know if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take the time to create something, I want to uh, capitalize upon it for myself. I don't want other people scalping. I don't want other people, you know, taking digital copies of it and giving it to somebody else and things of that nature. And sadly, that happens. So <clears throat> I'm gonna keep it as affordable as I possibly can. But I want those of you who have been following small year hunting, who like me, can't even afford my rates. You know, to have me come to a property is uh more than what i know i could have afforded and um still to this day i would struggle to you know maybe justify man 500 600 bucks i could i could do a lot of habitat improving if i just do my due diligence and research and do things like that so getting getting somebody with an habitat mind out to your property is very valuable i'm not downplaying that at all and it, it may seem odd coming from a habitat consultant that I'm trying to develop a product that's going to make it less advantageous for people to maybe consider having me out to their property. But I'm telling you, there's nothing that can be uh, replicated like boots on the ground. Absolutely. And if you talk to anybody that has had multiple habitat consultants out to their place, they will tell you they have learned something from every single person. Um, the minds in the industry, both better than me, newer than me, older than me, younger than me, um, you could probably learn from every single one of them. I know I do. I know I don't stop reading and digesting and listening to any other Habitat consultant when they're talking. It's amazing what one can learn and gather if they're just open to it and they continue to ask the question why. They continue to research. They continue to learn. I mean, you just, you, you cannot stop learning, but, uh, enough about that. I've rambled long enough. I know you, you, you clicked on this podcast to hear about entrance and exits and a little bit of everything else along the way. So let's first just very briefly touch on the aspect of if you are one that, you know, you, you may put some thought into your tree stand location. Um, you may put some thought into, oh, hey, what stand am I going to hunt because of the wind or something like that? Th that's all good stuff. But then you don't have any thought behind how you're going to get to that stand. You just get to it. You just walk in, point A, point B, B's being the stand, A is where I go in, boom. A to B. Maybe the quickest and swiftest way is the best way, in your opinion. Um... I'm here to tell you right now, if that's your thought process, just go from A to B. You're, you could be jeopardizing your entire layout of your property. Your entire security aspect of your property could be getting blown up by nothing other than 
your entrance and exit routes. There was a, a whitetail minute or a short film that I put together. It was called the, the story that we leave behind. Um, many people saw it on Facebook. If you Google it, I think it'll come up smaller hunting story left behind or something like that. I, I discuss how every single time we go to the property, whether it be for habitat improvement, walking, hanging out with the family, uh, mowing, checking cameras, hunting, we are leaving a story behind. These deer can smell and their survival instincts are driven to be responsive to what is occurring in the woods more than probably not any other creature, but it's just incredible their ability to do that. One of the things that I've learned at the new 22, so a little sidebar, is these that deer are just incredible in their interpretation of humans and human scent. This year alone, I have actually gotten within bow range or closer to uh, one of the oldest bucks that I've ever hunted. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's not the oldest buck age-wise, but he's the longest time span of me following, watching, and trying to hunt him. His name's Bertier. Those of you that you know, have listened or watched long enough know the story of Bertier somewhat, and I'm not going to get into that in this podcast, but he is an old, wounded buck. And he literally, in the off-season especially, it's like he knows instantly by your body language, by something, maybe by scent. I don't know what it is, but he has zero fear of humans. Come the fall, he's been one of the toughest bucks I've ever hunted to try to kill. It's like he has not only that sixth sense, but he has a 7th, 8th, and ninth, and then sometimes on days that end in Y, he has a 10th. It's, it's incredible, and I hope I get to tell the story of a success hunt for him sometime this year, but you know what? If not, God, the journey is just amazing following deer like that. But I say all that to go back to your entrance and exit, you're telling a story. You're leaving a story for the deer, whether that be through your scent dispersal in the air or your ground scent dispersal that you're leaving behind that you're actually tangibly touching and creating. You're doing that. Now let's talk about how that plays a factor. So maybe one of the best ways to just quickly overcap this whole discussion are there are, there are some good aspects of entrance and exit routes. Okay. Um, and then we'll kind of unpack each one if you will so I, I really quickly jotted down five i don't know what it is lately about five but you know there's more than five but uh i jotted, jotted down five really quick in preparing for this podcast and i'm just going to go through them right now so number one short distance traveled so it's possible that you know it's always a good aspect of a entrance and exit if it's short and we'll unpack that a little bit to where shortest isn't always the best. But a good aspect of an entrance and exit is a short route for sure. Number two, exterior edge or even neighbor's property for access. Uh, one of the biggest things that I recommend to people all the time is, you know, especially if your neighbors don't hunt, they don't want hunting on their property. Maybe they'll let you do an entrance and exit route. You never know. I have a few that will do that for me. Be nice to them, respect them, 
I'll look into it and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit more. Number three, minimal scent dispersal and minimum air, air scent dispersal. So all in one, the air scent basically is number three, uh, limited air scent issues. Number four goes right along with that limited ground scent dispersal. And number five, just kind of an overall least disturbance possible. Now you notice none of those, although short maybe may qualify as this, but none of those was the easiest. Not once did I say the easiest. And I think that is maybe the first golden rule of entrance and exit routes is the easiest is not always the best. So let's not even consider it unless it falls into good, it has a good rating for all these other things. And you know, that's one way that maybe, and it may sound uh, rudimentary or elementary level type thing, but you know what? Put a stand, you know, right on a map. This is my stand location. These are my possible entrance and exits. And then start rating each of those for all the things that we just discussed. You know, maybe a three is perfect. It's 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 awesome at this. Two, it's good. One, eh. Zero, terrible. And whatever the highest rating at the end of it, that's probably going to be your entrance. That's probably going to be your exit. Um, and each stand does not have the same entrance and exit. <clears throat> and while we're discussing this, stand location selection for me is driven in large part not by is the location good but do i have a good access and exit to and from that location now i will worry less about exit if i'm hanging what i've kind of monikered a golden stand a golden stand i don't know why i ever thought of that term but a golden stand is a stand that i I hang and I only go to it during the golden opportunity days. Um, it's a stand that it's tough to get to. Um, if I go in, I'm going to try to hunt all day. Or if I go in, I know it's a one hunt or two hunt type thing because I'm going to bust deer getting out. But it's an excellent location. And I'm sure every single person listening to this, unless you're brand new to hunting, there's some spots that you you have in your mind right now. And there may even be some stands that you know that are like your favorite to hunt. You overhunt them and you bust deer all the time. And you just know that spot should be better. Take a year off from hunting that spot. Treat it like a golden stand in year two moving forward. And I guarantee you, in my opinion, your odds will increase greatly at that spot. If it's truly as good as your gut is telling you. But so worry about entrance when choosing a stand. It's it's so crucial I literally have a stand hung at the new 22 right now that I know would be money. I know has the potential to be probably one of the best locations ever. I cannot for the life of me convince myself to blow up portions of the property to get to it though. Even as a golden stand, I just, I can't do it. I I, I care about the security of the deer way too much that I know getting down just 
there there is zero way for me to do it unless a helicopter would pick me up. Like I'm gonna blow the property up getting down. So that stand's been hung, it's been prepped, and I've never hunted it. So I should probably go I should probably go just tear it down. But so let's unpack number one. Short distance traveled. Um, it's true. You know what? If it's a good, you know, I think of the, the stand that I shot Cicero out of, it's literally one of the best locations, uh, or an example for the shortest route to a stand. Um, I'm not traversing where deer walk. So it fits number five, least disperse, least disturbance. Um, Unless yeah, let's just, you know what that might be the best uh, appro- approach to it all. So, to to on this stand location where we park, we have to walk kind of the north and to the east slightly to access this property or to access the stand. We have permission actually to utilize a boundary line where part of the time as we walk this way, we are using the exterior edge and we are using a neighbor's property to get to this stand. So minimal disturbance to my property on the ground. There's very little ground scent being left. Um, I'm basically walking the edge and then I'm walking perpendicular straight into the stand location. Um, I'm, I'm never crossing now an active trail. Um, they used to walk this line that by, by the tree that we used to have issues with your walking that we since have blocked. So we don't have that issue anymore to where I do not expect unless a deer dives into that fence row unexpectedly and fights through some blocking. I mean, they can get pretty much anywhere, but I don't expect my ground scent to be touched by any deer in a high traffic location. Now it's possible that they walk that exterior edge, that open dirt, just it's not a good location there's no food there's no cover blah 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 uh so you know it it could happen and this this stand i only hunt with easterly wind so i'm actually blowing out into more low desirability uh locations for deer to be there's no cover no food again that's the way i'm blowing so the scent dispersal of my entrance and exit is blowing into a low low likely uh, spot for deer to be the ground scent where I'm walking is extremely low likelihood of deer walking on it's literally one of the shortest distances from point a to point b a being my truck b being the stand and overall it's disturbing the least amount of deer I have the fence row so literally unless they're bedding out there in this kind of open area sunning themselves I don't disturb anything. I mean, it literally, that's a stand location that is tucked in into some bedding. There's bedding to the north, bedding to the east, bedding to the south. So I don't try to hunt it a lot. But under the right circumstances, if you take your time, you're quiet, you don't bang and clank anything, that's actually a location that you could get away with hunting a lot because the entrance and exit is so money. I mean, it's a three in every single category. Now, you have to get over the fact that sometimes the wind isn't right for your entrance and is right for your stand now think about that you know maybe there's a stand location that's jumping out to you right now that you're like well it's good for a westerly wind but i kind of have to walk in a spot that's going to be blowing to an easterly 
bedding area that then I expect them to come out of. So it's not really that great. So I uh, tie, I don't know what to do. Well, one, I would try to hunt elsewhere or figure a more roundabout way to access that stand. So, you know, you, you, you got to consider the, the dispersal of your scent, both in the air and on the ground are two things that a lot of people don't think about. Now I will admit if you, and let's actually get into this. So your ground scent dispersal, you know, I try to have the only thing that's possibly leaving any scent behind is the sole of my shoes. Now my boots stay in uh, a scent master box is what they're called. They don't make them anymore. I wish they did because it runs warm air through it for a set amount of time, dries your clothes, dries your boots. They stay in there. I'm actually this year adding a zeolite powdered tote. I also put activated carbon all over my boots and in my boots um, each hunt. And that minimizes any of the human scent, any of the, the scent that may be touching things. But, you know, I try to, the only thing touching stuff until I get to my stand is the, is, is the soles of my boots. If you're brushing up against leaves and sticks and touching trees or anything like that, you're leaving a little bit of a story behind. You can't help it. You know, we have dead skin just dropping off of us like it's going out of style. We have oils secreting out of our glands. Like It happens. Let's not be naive enough or believe in ourselves enough to just shut all that off. It's not happening. Yes, there are things that you can do to minimize that, you know. And that's one thing, you know, everybody asks me, Ty, what's your scent regimen? And maybe sometime I'll have an episode of that. But while we're talking about scent dispersal via the air and on the ground, you know, shower before your hunts if you can. One, it gets rid of that dead skin. It gets rid of those hair follicles. It gets rid of some of the stuff that's going to just naturally be falling off of you for a short time. So, you know, you don't believe in, in scent-free detergent, whatever, that's fine. Play the wind, but get rid of that stuff that's going to be dropping. You know, just do it. It's a smart thing to do. So, uh, ground dispersal, I'm also going to... So the soles of my boots, I don't want to be walking through a bunch of grass if I can help it. Um, if I'm walking through the woods, I don't want to be walking through and making one of the things that I didn't actually even touch on. And it kind of, well, yeah, I did. It touches on number five, least amount of disturbance. Blow your ex entrance and exit trails free and clear of sticks and leaves if you can. Um, you know for a fact, and I do as well, that, you know, the snapping of a twig, I swear, can sometimes be heard a quarter of a mile away. It's not something that you want to have to deal with when you're trying to sneak in on a bedded buck that may be in a bed 45 yards from you. As I've shared before, I am 100% certain the closest bedding option that I believe Cicero was in that day when I shot him was like 30 to 45 yards with the rest being within 100 yards of my stand. If I clang on a tree stand or I make noise or racket or break a bunch of branches or rustle a bunch of leaves, there's a chance he recognizes that as a human he goes the other way when he gets up. I'm not saying he wasn't going to stay in his bed or disturb him out of his bed, but he's not coming that direction. Not that early in daylight, not that early in the afternoon for a little munch on the food plot well before dark, well before even dusk, well before even I thought the sun was even beginning to set. 
He's not going to do that. So I took my time. The trail was free and clear. It wasn't as free and clear as I wished it would have been because it had been a few weeks since I had done that in September. But I picked and chose and walked on my toes. I just rhymed and I didn't mean to. But uh, yeah, least amount of disturbance. That's another aspect of that entrance and exit that, you know, I even have to cross a fence. And I've actually built a couple platforms to set on the fence that are like little step stools on each side because there was a couple times where that barbed wire would get stuck in your crotch or cling to your pants. And I want to be up higher to where when we swing over, we're not catching that barbed wire. We're not doing anything like that. I've even thought about throwing an old rubber mat over the barbed wire there just to minimize and ruffle any sound effects that may happen there. And we have worked on clearing that trail of... Uh, debris, of sticks, of roots, of anything that may cause us to falter. And that's one aspect that I just thought of. So the Cicero Trail, once I hit that fence, I'm literally 15 yards from the stand, if that. It's actually probably more like 10 yards. And it took me that day for Cicero from getting from the fence to the tree stand at least five to ten minutes just traversing those few feet because I wanted to be as quiet as I possibly could least amount of disturbance um another entrance and exit that I can tell you about is one that shows that the shortest route is not always the best route um I've talked about it before but as you're setting in this stand, I'll just lay it out like that. So you're you're setting in this stand and you're facing what would be west. Down a field edge, there's a ditch and creek running. Well, not creek, but a ditch running along straight down. You're actually set up on the ditch, facing down the ditch. And there's trees growing up on both sides. On On the right side, as you're looking, or to the north, there's agricultural fields. To the left of that ditch, there's an access road for farm equipment and tractors and such. Left of that, there's a big swamp, big bedding area. And you're literally set up 22 yards from an access where the access road can turn off and enter the fields. So that's your spot that you need to get to. The truck is parked over 500 yards, 600, 700 yards to your north. Now, the easiest way is to just walk straight down through an edge of a woods and just keep swinging south until you get to this little three-acre chunk of woods that sets up caddy corner to the big woods and just walk around the, the west side, swing along the south, head east just a little bit, and then swing directly south to the stand. That'd be the quickest route. That'd be the shortest route. However, definitely on exit, that's not the route you want to take because there's going to be deer in that field. You're going to be highly visible to them. So in essence, when I get down out of that stand, I turn and I head east up that ditch tree line all the way to the edge of the property that I have permission to be. There's a fence, and it is literally another 70, 80 yards to the east. Now, when you look back, the field between you 
and where the stand is is actually higher than the agricultural field that dips down out in a way that you were looking at and looking over. So by gaining that little bit of ground, you're actually beginning to lose the deer that are out in there and your visibility goes down because of that topography. And you're just, when it's dark, the farther you get, the less likely it is they know that you're there, that they can see you. Not to mention, there's pine trees along this this edge, so now I'm not being silhouetted as well. So it, it's really out of the way, but I'll walk all the way to that edge, and then I'll shoot north all the way along that edge. I'm so far out of the way that I've easily tripled my way to the truck. I get up to the corner, it makes a couple jogs, I follow the property line all the way north, and then I had to ha have to head west over to the truck. And it, it might seem excessive, it stinks at times to have to take that walk, but that's usually how I enter and how I exit. Primary reason is that's only a westerly stand wind location for the stand. Um, it allows deer with a western wind western wind to, to check that field, come across that opening and feel like they have the wind in their favor, but it's also in my favor. They're quartering two, I'm shooting parallel with my wind. And if I go and I use the shortest entrance route, I'd actually be blowing wind into that little woods that they may be bedded in. I would also be just applying a scent trail that they may walk, although it's highly unlikely, but they could walking from that opening to the little woods, a lot of oak trees in there. Um, so they could, they could, they could come in contact with any air scent dispersal that's gathered on stuff or my ground scent. Not to mention the topography. Remember if I swing around the shortest route, I'm going to be at their eye level the entire time. I'm not going to be up over that little hill. And, and it's a very gradual hill, but you know, a few feet and a few extra hundred yards really begins to assist you in making you disappear over that little knoll. So that's something to also always consider. So, you know, make sure your entrance and exits are clean. I actually shared in the five mistakes that hunters make, the story of my good friend Dan, how, you know, he killed the biggest buck of his life, and a lot of that had to do with the fact he was able to slip in and slip out because his trail was dirt. I mean, it was dirt. And, you know, if you're, if you're walking through grasses or anything like that, you could even spray kill those. Keep it just dirt. Grass collects more scent than dirt. It's just something to consider. You don't have to do it. Uh, another thing is, if I can ever walk with silhouette guarding or a screen blocking, that'll, that's going to help as well. Think of miscanthus line. Think of plot screen line. Think of fence row line. Um, keep that in mind. And that's one thing that, you know, oftentimes if you're hunting agricultural properties, those tree lines, if you can just get outside and on the other side of those tree lines, it's huge. So if the neighboring owner will let you walk on their side of a tree line, that's great. You know, deer are creatures of the edge. They're going to walk your property's edge. And you don't want to be walking on it. You want to disturb their edge. And oftentimes you'd be surprised how many times that stubborn, disgruntled uh, neighboring farmer or landowner who's had bad experiences, all you're asking is to walk 
their property, stressing that you're not hunting, you will not shoot anything, and you are going to honor that, you'd be surprised how many people will let you do that. They, they'll, they'll, they'll be gracious enough. You know, I've, I, I, I have access points off of neighboring properties, um, on a few of my places, which is, is a huge benefit. Uh, I wouldn't have Cicero on my wall if I didn't have permission. Most likely. I mean, who knows? I would have had to adjust my strategy, things of that nature, but man, just, I, I couldn't imagine. So it's a huge, huge aspect of it. Now I understand that listening to this is a little hard to picture entrance and exit routes. But I will say, you know, one of the things that I do for cons- consultations is if I make a map for you and we, we have possible stand locations, we also discuss possible entrance and exits. And depending on the wind and depending on the time of year, I may have two e- exits planned for that stand if it was me. And that's because of scent stream, timing of the year, where their food sources are, what you planted might affect this as well. How you exit one, a stand one year may be different than next year. And that's something I try to lay out and try to get somebody to think about. Ultimately, it's up to them. It's up to you. But uh, hopefully this at least got you thinking about some things to consider. Um, you know, Coming in contact with stuff is one thing that a lot of people don't even consider. I don't want to touch branches. I don't want to touch weeds. I don't want to touch anything. I want to disturb the least amount of stuff. I am not the type of person that wants to leave scent, whether it be dopey in a bottle or, or you know anything like that. I used to use Evercalm, and I still do sometimes, especially when I'm going into a spot where they're going to most likely cross my trail. I've had really decent luck with Evercalm. This is not a... I'm not sponsored by Evercalm. I'm not anything like that, but Evercalm... It does seem to not spook deer, I will say. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of leaving scent behind. I want to get in and get out with the least amount of disturbance possible. So, I'm not anti-cover scents. I just think, you know, I think some guys abuse them. I think some guys are naively uh, hoping that they do amazing things. But... Uh, just don't overuse them. Be smart about it. You know, a cover sense is not going to override if you have negative aspects on everything that we discussed today. It's not going to it's not going to make a bad entrance and exit good at all. Do not be naive. To be blunt, don't be dumb. So I think that's fleshed out as much as I probably can on a podcast. Remember to just always be thinking of these things. And, you know, if, if the entrance and exit isn't the greatest, try to limit your hunts on that stand to one or two. And wait until everything is aligning, the weather, the wind, the barometric pressure, the timing of the year, how the movement should be at that location. Is it, is it really, you know, if it's a seeking type oriented stand location, wait until really, really on the cusp of the rut. That, that late pre-rut almost explosion where the bucks are just... Dude, they're going crazy. Wait for that. Don't don't ruin that stand in early October or, or don't wait to hunt it until Christmas. Like hit that stand during the prime seeking days. So be smart with it. Do what you can. 
and I, I'm, I, I hope the best for every single person listening. And, uh, if you ever want me to share my thoughts with you or you want to reach out and maybe have me do a consultation, I'll do that as well. But you know, Hey, hopefully I can get this tag plan together and you have a very cheap alternative to try to listen and, and gather some ideas and some of the things that I consider and some of the things that have made me successful for whatever that's worth. It may be worth nothing to you. That's fine. I respect you. I'm fine with that. Um, but I've, I've done some things and over the years I've proven that they work and hopefully I can convey that to people who need it, convey that to people that maybe just want to learn a little bit more up their game a little bit more. So that's all I got guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Uh, it's humbling to think that there's people out there that actually digest this stuff, listen to this stuff and gather information from it. Again, I'm not sponsored. I don't get money from any single person out there. And I've had some of you guys say, Hey, we listen to podcasts that do this Patreon thing where you can sponsor and you guys can sponsor as little as a dollar an episode. So if I produce an episode and deliver an episode, deliver content to you, you're then charged a dollar. Um, I'm thinking about possibly doing something like that. That'd be the only way that maybe I would take money for doing anything like this. Uh, this is for you guys. This is just something that I love. I love discussing. I love sharing. And, uh, yeah, it's just what I'm about. But, you know, the Patreon thing sounds awesome. You're never going to hear me take a sponsorship. Well, I shouldn't say never. Uh, I It's been considered because doing all this for free, doing all this out of pocket is, is not the easiest thing. But as of right this moment, thank you so much for supporting a non-sponsored podcast, a non-sponsored individual. I owe nothing to any company out there at all. So... And I think that's special in the hunting industry. It's it, it, it's not something occurring enough. There are so many people that are bought and sold by products, and it doesn't matter as long as they get a discount or they get money. That's all that matters. And a lot of the shows, a lot of the entities, it's not even just a discount. It's, hey, if you sponsor us, we will push your product. So I have nothing against guys, you know, I think there are some amazing individuals out there running podcasts that take sponsorship money. There is zero wrong with that. Let me stress that enough. It's just not for me. But thank you so much for supporting the podcast by listening to it. If you have a few moments, at least, you know, check it out on iTunes, even if that's not the podcast uh, app that you you utilize. I don't actually. I listen to Podbean a lot um, or Anchor. Those are my two main but uh, you know what? iTunes really is the podcast world. Without good reviews there, without good ratings there, you're probably not going to progress through the ranks of the podcast world. So if you think this is sufficient or if you see potential in this, I'm not saying I'm an amazing podcast right now, but if you see great potential in it, you know what? Slide over there. Give me a five-star rating. Just say a few kind words. And you know what? If, if you don't want to give me a, a five, uh, you know, don't bother wasting your time. It's not worth it. It's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> but uh, but no, guys, hey, I, I love and appreciate each and every one of you. And hopefully that comes through. Until next time, guys, God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting 
at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.